0: Coming up on Art Palace, the best of Art Palace. Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Irig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. In honor of International Podcast Day, today we have a special best of episode with clips from the past two years. It's a great way to introduce new people to the show, so maybe share it with somebody who's never given podcasts a try. The first clip is from episode 16 with Travis McElroy from My Brother, My Brother and Me, The Adventure Zone, and many other podcasts. So this room, we call the Cincinnati Art Carved Furniture Room. Um, Obviously, a lot of furniture around.
1: (laughs) You have picked a very good room for me for a lot of reasons. So what are those reasons? Um, Reason number one, I have done a lot of carpentry in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked uh, in my scene shop in college. um, And then I was the technical director and master carpenter for the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company and I, uh, you know, built a lot of stage furniture there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am also a big fan of the Antiques Roadshow, Um, (laughs) so this is conjuring a lot of feelings like that for me. I Also, uh, I have a lot of strong feelings about, um, uh, well, the modern furniture, and I actually had a conversation with uh, Roman Mars about this. He guested on a show I have called Surprisingly Nice, and we talked about, like, bad design that we liked and one of them is like the uh like ikea uh you know the uh, the furniture of like the snap together Mm -hmm. anyone can do it furniture and the thing is on the one level i love that furniture because it's so uh cost effective and anybody can do it and there's a lot of different options and like i've moved a bunch and every time i do i'm like i love that this is made out of like corkboard and, you know, MDF <laughs> and I can break it down and carry it down the stairs by myself. But the thing is, nothing I own right now is going to be a thing that my children's children's yeah. children, 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 whatever display. And so when I watch Antiques Roadshow, I always think the same thing, which is like, do I own anything? <laughs> that in a hundred years, we are like, well, this is a very interesting piece. Right. Because, no, they'd be like, okay, this is just like a desk that costs $99 at Ikea. Well, I don't care about this. It's worth nothing now. Yeah. Um. So I look at these pieces, and here's what I love. Here's what I love about furniture art and carved furniture art, is now, when it's sitting up on these plinths, and they have little labels on them, and there's lights on them and everything. It's like, ah, what a beautiful art piece. Yeah. But when they existed out into the wild. Somebody put their clothes in that. Mm-hmm. Somebody leaned on that mantle. Somebody slept in that bed. Somebody painted on that. Somebody, you know, displayed their books in that bookcase in their own house. And so like to us it's a beautiful art piece, but to whoever owned it, it was a thing that completed their home. And you might say, well that's true of a lot of paintings, it's true of a lot of works. It's like, yes, but also Nobody opened those paintings every day to get a book out of it Mm -hmm. or to put their china into it or to, like, get their clothes out of it. So it's not only very attractive, they're very beautiful, but it also has practicality designed into it. Um, And you have to get good as opposed to, I don't know a lot about painting, but as opposed to, like, brush strokes, you also have to worry about structural integrity. So it's not just, like, is this pretty? It's also, like, is it going to fall apart if I open the door?
0: Our next clip is from my conversation with artist Brittany Bicknaver in episode 44, which was one of my favorite episodes so far. You were probably, so I was thinking about this. You were probably actually the first podcast host I I actually knew in a yeah. way because you were yeah. hosting a Stuttercast. Yeah. Or, right?
2: It was a podcast called Stutter Talk.
0: Stutter Talk. Okay. Yeah.
2: It was during the time of, um, so I was a covert stutterer. Growing up. This and
0: I, is so fascinating. I remember when you told me this and I was just yes. like, what? Like, yeah. I did not understand. First of all, I remember when you you said, like, I'm a stutterer. And I was like, no, you're yeah. not.
2: Well, because I could hide it really well. That's so crazy. Yeah. And I actually just finished up a round of speech therapy two weeks ago.
0: So you're still like... Yeah. So what is... This is so fast. I love this. Like, I and that's why, I, like, I remember when you telling me, like, oh, I'm hosting this podcast and like I'm a guest host and like you'd been on it and I would like listen to it and I was just like so intrigued by it because it was like this whole world that I knew nothing about. Yeah, and and the whole like, I don't know. It was just a very empowering. I I don't know. I thought it was really Thank empowering. You. I story really appreciate to me. that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and I think, um, I think you know, I had. Uh, just recently in the past couple of years, a lot of, uh, problem, well, a lot of like almost inner questions about my identity as some, you know, as, as a human who speaks, you know, am I a stutter? Am I fluent? You know what I mean? And, and, and just like straddling like both of those worlds. And we had like couple therapy sessions with my speech, like pathologist, because it felt so weird like I can be, like I, I'm obviously really fluent right now and I can be really fluent for months and then somebody will switch and I yeah. will, and I'll be really dis, disfluent, yeah, wow. for a couple months. So, um, yeah, so my, uh, yeah, stuttering is, um, it's a cyclical thing, hmm. you know? And uh, yeah, it was something that when I was little, when you stuttered, and you see people's re- re- reactions, or the way that children, you know, or or the way that your peers kind of re- re- react to, and you get the signal, oh, this is something that I shouldn't do. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so, and and not necessarily like anybody told me, like don't do that. You know, it's 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 just those 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 cues that um, people give you about something about you. You know what I mean? Oh, and then you, and then you're like, well, this is something I need to not share. You know so um i developed tools of um i became a covert stutter and there's people out there whose own spouses don't even know that they stutter because they're able to hide it so well so i would use like word substitution i I, if i if i felt a stutter coming on and i probably did this with you in my early 20s if i felt like i was going to stutter on a certain word i would change the word
0: you know which ones are like trig trigger it for sure yeah yes that's so yes i mean it's crazy it's insane it's like (laughs) i i don't know like i i had never and, and and i think like at the moment when you were when i was listening to this like i did not understand my sexuality very well yeah and i think it like I don't like, I'm a person who I feel like I have no coming out story because I have like a million. And I actually, I think about listening to that as like, actually like a really important part of like me recognizing, like as you're sitting there saying this stuff about like you recognize when you get these sort of negative feedback from others yeah, and that changes how you behave. yeah, And it's like, that is like the queer experience for a lot of people is basically you do something And you're sort of chastised for it and in ways that people maybe don't even realize they're doing it, like Mm -hmm. in like these really small ways that are not, you know, for me personally, I don't think I had a ton of people who were like really policing my behavior in a way that was um, super overt or any way, but it was just like very subtle. For
2: sure. Yeah. And
0: that changes like how you you know, what you want to put out there yeah. in the world. And, and so it's just like, it really resonated with me when you were talking about that. I was like, Oh my God, this is, I like totally understand <laughs> yeah. this. And then even like the thing when, you know, I remember you telling me like, Oh yeah, I'll like make myself stutter. Like yeah,
2: that, that was a way for me to, um, because even I, I, you know, my mom always told me, "You're going to grow out of it. You're going to grow out of it." So even when I was in college, I had this idea in my head that I was going to grow out of it. You yeah. know what I mean? And I had this moment where I was wor- I was at work, and I was 26, and I was like, "Holy, you know, like <laughs> I, I don't know if I can." <laughs> I, I
0: do. I do keep it like for for all audiences. Okay, so I appreciate this. this is I was like, yes. "Holy
2: cow!" <laughs> <laughs> I am a grown up, and I right. still do this. And I had that realization that, that it wasn't going to go away. You know what I mean? so I was like, I have to figure out a way to live with this, you know, because I didn't want to hide it anymore. Cause it was tiring. It's so tiring.
0: Oh my and gosh. I mean, and that's just like, again, like it's like totally a coming out story in uh-huh. this weird way, because sure. that is like what everyone describes is yes. like the burden of uh, the yeah. secret and the burden of like, like, yeah. I, I remember telling somebody here one time, I was like, you know what, like, the best part about coming out is like, you can just like listen to whatever music you want to <laughs> <laughs> like, because, I that. because I feel like there would definitely be things like it, that was like one. And it's really strange because I've always been like sort of like a weirdly flamboyant person in uh-huh. certain aspects. But then like, I, I feel like there would be certain things where I was like, I like this, but I don't want to admit that i like this because (laughs) i think it's like way too gay like this (laughs) song is like too gay for me to like, and that is like a crazy thing but i i really do think about it all the time when i'm just like listening to whatever i want i'm like because it would also be that kind of like internal struggle too like i don't think i would have like a lot of like secret things i listen to like it would just be like i would remove that from the options almost (laughs) like well i can't listen to that it's like too gay So, but anyway, I don't even remember where I, I just stole the point, but it just,
2: well, I I think it's, and I don't know if you experienced this, but, um, so I started teaching at the art Academy last fall Mm -hmm. and it was weird to go back there not being a, cause I was a covert stutter going mm. at the art academy, a student. And now I was going back to the art academy, not a covert kind of like an, uh, you know what I mean? So it was kind of weird. Right. And I was, and, and it caused me, you know, some, some anxiety to kind of have this, this new, uh, identity, even though nobody cares and nobody's thinking about it, I mean, you know?
0: But I think that's exactly the same thing with like sexuality, because yeah, in general, especially when sure. you're, you're talking about a place that's like so progressive and liberal. Like, yeah. Like, obviously, like, nobody cares. Yeah. Like, it's all in your own head. Yeah. Like, nobody actually cares. I,
2: you know, just worry about having a huge block and starting out a word and somebody looking at me being like, what happened to you? <laughs> you know. <laughs> did you? Yeah. <laughs> were you in an accident or something? <laughs>
3: <laughs> is yeah. it like,
0: I mean, is the, were, were the pressures of teaching, did that in, like, public speaking make it like harder for you or is I it just think kind for of-
2: sure and I think you know the idea of going back to a place where I had a different identity hmm. that is the one that I have now even though it's like you know it's not me you know it's just even though it's like a small part of me you know yeah the, you know obviously like the way that I speak or the way that anybody speaks is a very small part yeah of who they are um <laughs> still I'm still having some anxiety about it. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then that probably does that make it worse? Like, does yeah, the anxiety? Of, of or, course,
2: it does. And yeah. and when um, when a person decides to not be covert anymore, to not be a covert stutterer, their stuttering increases. Oh, really? Yes, because it's almost like yeah, because you're you're trying to sur sur suppress something yeah. for so long that that you get skilled at it you know what i mean and then once you do once you do once you make the de- the decision to not do that anymore it, it kind of has has the freedom to to be what it is yeah yeah
0: it's just impossible for me to not like make these parallels constantly with like sexuality when you talk about it. I was, I was making
2: those same parallels in my speech therapy that I just finished. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like those same parallels. Like
0: it just, it, the experience of it, like, and and as you talk about it, you're just like, Oh my God, it like resonates so, so strongly with me in that way. And even like the idea of, I think like presenting in that sort of like, covert and not covert and the language of that and like even the way that homophobia kind of creeps in in that like i have to consciously not um be sort of judgmental towards somebody who is like super flamboyant or Mm -hmm. like there's this idea of like when you've built in like hiding so long into your life yeah that you start to be like what how how dare they not hide? was <laughs> <Almost, laughs> like that's almost the idea i think uh, on some level and you'll see that kind of judge judgment come through in a lot of like gay men especially i think about what they perceive as like overly effeminate behavior mm-hmm. um but it's always like, I feel like it's always more about them than it is the other person. You know, it's more about oh, like, sure. you're just deeply uncomfortable yeah, with course. like that totally. side of yourself. Yeah. And you you spent so long trying to hide that. And it's like, that how much of it you can let out and like, it just becomes really fraught.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it definitely does. Yeah. <laughs>
0: In episode 41, Caroline Ely and Kevin T. Porter from the Good Christian Fun podcast dropped by to discuss Christian art and culture. When you were just talking about music stuff, too, I mean, it's that's the... Yeah, it's like I don't know if there's an easy answer or there's an easy way to draw that line because in a certain way, it's like the architecture and the decoration of a church is doing, in a way visually what the music might be doing, yeah, right? Yeah,
5: and it is a service in a way. Yeah. You know, yeah.
0: And, and you know, for us too, I think about this a lot in museums as well. I, I think a lot about how museum architecture and church architecture is often really similar. Oh, how so? Well, I mean, scale for one thing, Huge. right? Like, yeah. you kind of... Feel a little small in these spaces, right? Yeah, like, like, totally.
5: The best kind of feeling museums is like it's magnificent. Yes,
0: yes, exactly. Yes. It's humbling. Uh-huh. So, and and there's something about usually those spaces that also maybe hopefully inspire like introspection as yeah, well in a certain way. They're so
5: sparse otherwise. Yeah, maybe. I'm like, thinking it's funny just to imagine this like filled with clutter and just like <laughs> chairs, just like, some couches, like some couches, like some coffee tables. <laughs> <laughs> I'll move it later. <laughs>
0: But there's are both of them I think of as as and I think a lot of our audiences perceive them this way and sometimes it's a push pull that I have of of people think of a museum as a sacred space. Mm. And that sometimes we do things and programs that are meant to be fun and to and have. They're like
5: not in front of the art. I
0: mean, literally. Like, I mean, one time I had uh, for a pro for a family program, we brought in like the Reds mascots, and they were like walking around the gallery. Oh, that's and, so
5: funny. And like
0: one of um,
5: <laughs> one of them just like really staring at something, like really thinking about his life.
0: Well, the Reds have like just a plethora (laughs) of mascots too, so we have like one called Gapper, who's like the wacky Muppet.
5: You know who this he's talking about? She's
0: like, yeah, I know
3: Gaffer. <laughs>
5: Our friend Emily is here. and She's a local.
3: Yeah, so, she's um, so I so, like that's her title, Emily Local. <laughs>
5: Emily Local, local person.
3: Uh,
0: um, so, so he was here and he was like whistle. Like he, I think they had the costume built in with some kind of like wacky like whistle, like one of those things that like was like Whoa! things. And so, <laughs>
4: That oh, is a funny
0: I wanna point. see is there footage of this? Is I don't think video? there was because I think I was Did walking around escorting in this him room? at this point. But oh my God. but um <laughs> yes yeah, so we were walking around and we had like people complain that Gapper was ruining their art you know art viewing <laughs>
3: experience basically the, the piece of art moved him so much he tried to lead the museum and the YMCA So
5: he had everyone doing the wave <laughs> the, the thought of someone having to go up to a security man like in dead serious to be like gapper is, <laughs> is interrupting my my experience with his silly whistle
0: yeah yeah Please get him out but I mean for them they were at church, right?
5: That well, that I understand. I thought they were gonna just protest the idea of a mascot even gracing these hallowed <laughs> halls, but I understand. I mean, they might actually, have
0: on some level, felt that if way. If I
5: was here staring at like a beautiful piece of art and a mascot walked by and like tried to trip me, I'd be mad. You'd be a
0: little one. <laughs> I mean, I don't think he was. I don't think he was harming people.
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard he was hitting people like with a hammer. <laughs> Whoa. is a crazy no, oh, yeah. yeah. Are
3: we gonna me too gappers? <laughs> Good grief. Gapper goes down. He totally oh like harassed
5: a lot of women. <laughs>
3: Oh, no, don't say not that. This Gap. is, this is not true about Gapper. Is Gapper oh.
5: genderless? I'm assuming it's a man. Uh, has, has,
0: I think Gapper has always been referred to as a he. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, hey, look, I don't Let's know. Let's say
5: they, them just to be they, safe. They, them for
3: <laughs> so. That's
0: probably safe. We do have we do have uh, lots of other gendered uh, mascots for the Reds. Yeah. We have Mr. Red, who's the original. Okay. And then we have Mr. Redlegs, who's like the... This is crazy.
5: Let's see in those games. Is yammed. there Mrs.
0: Redlegs? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Mr. Redlegs ha- is like, it has, has an old timey mustache. Oh my god. And in slightly crazier eyes. Like he looks like actually so it's, Is he, like, oh.
5: is he yeah. like the id of Mr. Red?
3: What <laughs> <laughs> Mr. That's red really right. wants yeah. to do.
5: <laughs> it's Like inner demon. Yeah,
0: that's probably yeah, I think you might be right. He also has like an old timey, like original red legs uniform, too. Okay. So that's what the mustache is. He's supposed to be like turn of the century. Oh,
5: okay. Yes. Like Casey goes to bat. Exactly. exactly.
0: I think okay. that's
3: such an interesting <laughs> idea because uh Man, I just want to talk about Gapper the rest of this podcast. <laughs> we can do that. But I'll refrain. We we'll
5: dive into Gapper, but the idea
3: of um, kind of like the silly or wacky, or even just like the more quote unquote pedestrian, colliding with something that's meant to be preserved or curated or sacred. So something Caroline and I have run into, even in doing our podcast about like Christian media and art mm-hmm. and stuff, is now we've started talking to venues that aren't just like oh a music venue that we're turning into a comedy venue or like a theater that we're t- but also churches as well <laughs> and one of the conversations we have at the outset of that is are you okay with us or our guests over which we have no control per Great. se basically saying whatever we want, saying, saying the P word, saying, poop. saying the poop word, <laughs> saying, yeah, <laughs> On stage. Honestly, literally like swearing. Cause some churches would say like, no. Nah. Yeah.
5: yeah. Or I think if anything, they're probably worried of what their congregation would hear or get upset about too. So
3: yeah. And I find that the churches that, and this might be a personal preference for me as well, but churches that have more of a, minimalist approach Mm -hmm. in terms of like certain architecture are usually the ones where the, um, kind of the, the confluence of those two things and the, uh, inherent contradiction of, like, this weird silly thing happening in this sacred space isn't as much of a big deal. Yeah. So, like, even in Los Angeles, like, a lot of the churches don't meet in quote-unquote church buildings. I mean, like, high schools and, right. and, and gymnasiums and mm-hmm. things that they're retrofitting for that. And so, because of that, they take on minimal design that does have purpose, but it's a different kind of purpose than the one that's afforded for people that can, like, design those statues yeah. And, yeah. The and the carvings in the walls and whatnot. Yeah. So.
0: so, maybe that. they almost, in a way, it's like, this can this space is in is more flexible in yeah. itself, like, temporary,
3: in right, because yeah. it's all about function rather right. than spectacle. Yeah, I think That's in in those cases, hmm. not dogging on the ones that like do serve spectacle like uh, functions as well, but for the for the ones that are just functional, there's less of a preciousness over like. Yeah, Gapper can come in and do a sermon if he wants to. <laughs> That's like Gapper having a it's shot at It's literally just pantomiming,
5: like, the, the Stations of Jesus. the Cross. <laughs> the Passion of the Christ by Woo. Gapper.
3: <laughs> I would watch that.
5: Oh, my God. And I'm thinking of Mr. Redlegs, like, dressing as Mary for part of it, because I see him as kind of like a fluid gender. Sure, sure,
3: sure, sure. I do as yeah. well.
0: <laughs> well, we also, we have, um, not to make this all about the Reds mascots for, like, 25 minutes. Please. But we... <laughs> Uh, There's also Rosie Red.
5: Rosie Red.
0: Who's our lady mascot. Yes, exactly. And she, that's.
5: Is she kind of brassy or is she like kind of shy?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, none of them actually speak. Having spent actually a surprising amount of time. Oh, but you can tell. Yeah, You can um, be a flirt with no words at all. I would say she's, so when she's been here doing things, I will say she's a little brassy. A
5: little brassy, a little lintling in your face. Yes, oh, I, I would say, um, now to her. look
0: at her, you might not suspect that, <laughs> but I'm just saying <laughs> she's don't lady judge her by her costume. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but, it's you know. Rosy. Yeah, but she has kind of a little skirt, too. Sort of like the, like, a league of their own style. I'm, kind of.
3: I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> <She's> <laughs>
5: saying, oh my god! You're going to be the next me too, if you carry on that way. i got
3: some things to Google on the way home.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the next clip comes from episode 24, when I was joined by Ainsley M. Cameron, curator of South Asian art, Islamic art, and antiquities. How did you end up here? What's the story of... of- how do you get to this point? And I, I guess I am interested actually even a little bit further back than just like, well, I was at my last job and then Yeah, and then I'm this here. job came up. Yeah I, mean, I yeah, yeah, I mean, I I mean, guess I'm interested in how like people end up in the careers they end up because I know for me, I never in a million years thought that this is what I would do.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Like it's just totally luck and weird dumb luck mm-hmm. and, and just like, oh, well, this happened and then I started doing that and then, you know, there's just like, sort of these weird choices you make. Yeah. That you think are inconsequential and turn out not to be. <laughs> yeah, no, I think
6: I think that's true. And I think that sort of they snowball as you get older too, where it's sort of one leads to the next and it all yeah. starts to make sense originally, or eventually. And then you realize that yeah, you've been on a path for much longer than you than you thought you were. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um okay, so I think for me then, if if that's what we're talking about of how I got here and sort of this like larger when did the ball start rolling. Yeah. Um, When I was 15. Wow. It all started when I was 15. Um, My mom got a job in Sri Lanka, in Colombo, and uh, we moved there. And I did all of high school over there. And so that's sort of my first introduction to South Asia, my first introduction to the art and archaeology of the region, and what got me really excited to follow the career path that I'm on now.
0: Oh, well, that's I had no idea. That's, yeah. <laughs> see, I'm glad I asked because that's a way better story than I expected.
6: <laughs> it's bunch of like, I was a freshman. I didn't know what to take. So around. how old
0: were you when you moved?
6: Uh, 15. 15. Yeah, so that must have been like
0: mm. a pretty big, like. Was it was it, a big
6: deal. Yeah. yeah. Was that a
0: pretty big, like, culture shock for you? Or Huge. Is, I mean, it just yeah. seems like it's such a like a point in everyone's life where everyone's a little off balance anyway
6: yeah well I mean that's what's interesting I think is that my mom was offered the job and turned it down because she was like I have a 15 year old daughter I'm not gonna yeah. do that to her like I'm not gonna try to move her um but I said yes let's try it and I sort of convinced her this was a great idea wouldn't this be interesting wouldn't this be an amazing opportunity and then I kind of looked at her and said where is Sri Lanka like I actually had no idea <laughs> I think I just wanted to like get out of going to the high school i was supposed to but i didn't know where i was gonna end up um but yeah
0: it sounded like an exciting exotic trip so you were pretty game though for it i was game i was definitely game yeah what what was your like high school experience like
6: there it was it was kind of funny um it was small it was a small private high school where sort of um Uh, mainly Sri Lankan families would send their kids if they wanted their kids to go to university abroad. Um, So it was following the British system. So I did my O-levels and my A-levels and um, did all these, I don't know, funny random subjects that you wouldn't have done in North American high school. Um, And it was kind of great. The class sizes were really small. The teachers were like not very much older than us, which was kind of weird um, because they were just sort of recent graduates from university in the UK and could come over and, you know, teach at a high school for a couple of years because they were totally unqualified to do that. <laughs> um, some of them were great, <laughs> in case they're listening, <laughs> in case they're listening. Well, yeah. of course, they're stalking me on a podcast. <laughs> uh, some of them were really, really great because they were just like enthusiastic about life and about communicating to, to these high school kids. Um, but some of them had no idea how to put together a high school curriculum. But, yeah, I mean, it worked out It worked out great. So I had a wonderful time there. I really enjoyed it. We stayed for three years. We decided to go for one year, and if we liked it, we'd stay for longer, and we stayed yeah. for three. Wow,
0: that's awesome. Yeah. that's yeah, yeah, totally. So that just, it really started with, were you already interested in art before
6: that? I was interested in archaeology. Oh, okay. I was convinced I was going to be the next Indiana Jones. Like, yeah. this was the thing for me. Um, but I thought I wanted to do Middle Eastern archaeology, because that's sort of like what you do, right? Right. Um, But as soon as I got to to Colombo, everything changed. Like, it was just, it was all South Asia. I Mm -hmm. just, like, it got into my blood somehow, so.
0: In episode 20, I met Catalina Cuervo, the opera singer who was singing the role of Frida Kahlo in the Cincinnati Opera's production of Frida. She sat down with me to look at photographs of Frida and discuss her life.
7: And uh, she loved wearing her flowers in her head, um, and she loved to wear ribbons and all other things. That is also from her heritage, also because she was very proud of her Mer- Mexican and Indian heritage mm-hmm. and the love for nature. So it's iconic. Yeah. And uh, here he, with this picture, he's showing not only that strength in her face, but the flowers, her her love, the love of her life.
0: Well, and it's another thing that you know a lot of the photos capture and what so many people have always talked about with Frida is her sense of fashion mm. and the way uh-huh. she has built this style that is both, you know, rooted in a tradition, but then it's also very original. Cause she's not, it's like, she's kind of mixing traditions as well. She's like pulling from this region and this style and yes. you know, she's totally doing her own thing. Um, and just totally owning it. You owning
7: know? it. You know, I was, uh, one of the things that was more, most fascinating about her, and, and in a time like this one, is Frida was from both Mexican, Indian heritage, and German. Mm-hmm. And she was very proud of being Mexican and of having that. Um, when you see the way she dressed in her Tijuana outfits and her hair, it's a combination, like you said, of both things. Uh, her outfits come from the Indian, the 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 Juana outfits, uh, the, the 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 dresses that the that the people in the town wear, the Mexicans wear, and then her braid, her braid is not a Latino thing; it's actually a German thing. Yeah, her grandmother used to wear the braids and uh and, and and Frida decided she looked very much like her grandmother by the way the eyebrow comes from her german grandmother mm-hmm. she looked exactly like her german grandmother so she was like i'm going to wear my braids just like my grandmother and my Tijuana outfits like my mexican people so it's you know like it's it's amazing that she owned to to who she was where she was from and she was proud of it and she wanted to just show everybody that yeah. and just when she came to the United States, she wore her Tawana outfit. She wore her flowers on her head. And she didn't wear what ladies in the fashion, you know, fashion lights in <laughs> back in the time used to wear. No, she was like, no, no, this is me. This is what I wear. It's fascinating. Yeah. I love it. I love that attitude about her.
0: The next clip comes from episode 36, when artist Joey Versoza and I delved into the world of video games and compared them to 500-year-old artworks by Albrecht Dürer.
8: It's like when we watch a movie, I mean, it's, we're not interacting, we're not manipulating anything. We're, there's that distance that art has, right? That right. it's this thing on the wall. We have this distance, we understand it, and then we, you know, cerebral kind of thing, relationship. But like video games is something different, and I always think about, um, gosh darn it, who was it? What uh, film critic was it? Uh, Chicago, uh, very famous. And <laughs>
0: Siskel or Ebert? I think it was Ebert. Okay,
8: and <laughs> and. You know, and he said and a lot of people get mad about it, but he's like video games oh. aren't art. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that I was, was like, Ebert, that's, that's fair. That's fine. It's like it doesn't have to be. It's its own thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we can understand that like it is something new that like we get to interact with in this way, but we also are simultaneously passively watching.
0: Yeah. Well, it's a super weird thing, too, because like, I remember, you know, these the hot burning questions of what, like, 2008, like, when <laughs> when oh, sure. was going down. Yeah, But, yeah, I mean, I kind of can see both sides of it, because on one hand, I'm like, well, yeah, it's also it's like, it is not out, it's not like it comes out of this tradition. As we're right. sitting here, we're no. sitting in a room full of durer prints, and it's not right. like somebody ever started, um, you know, at this point and moved through that history and got to video games. That's like, exactly right. It it's came weird. out of you know, its own world, really. I mean, it's kind of like yeah. just somebody's like, hey, we can do this thing. Yeah. And I, f- I feel like video games should be a part of the arts as we see it. With, right. like, But, you know, it's not a part necessarily of the visual art right. world. And right. or, But then again, it's like it's so weird because, like, I don't know, maybe one day it could be. like right. well, it's like knows? some of it's the like, most
8: breathtaking landscapes. It's like Emily is playing oh, yeah. Horizon Zero Dawn and it is so remarkably beautiful and it will just stop and we're like, that sunset. And the snow is just unbelievable yeah yeah you know? i mean it's like
0: absolutely gorgeous or like i um i'm always really interested in um sort of the objects and like furniture and stuff that's created and, for those things and
8: the soul series for me and specifically i don't know about you but bloodborne was where i feel like oh, there was yeah. this particular refinement in terms of the gothic like and that was just a period in which for me like dialing into the object the medieval aspect of like the soul series right there was something about bloodborne in particular about this kind of gothic sensibility neo-gothic yeah
0: sort of like victorian era there you go right yeah yeah because it's it's yeah oh it's so good and it's it's like, like it's based in like a you know it's Sort of realistic in some ways. I mean, you could look at like some of like the art car furniture here that was made, you know, in Cincinnati in, totally. in the eighteen hundreds that looks really similar. Like that yeah. bed downstairs, it's like that crazy vaulted. Oh, ice, that's incredible! You know, canopy yeah. and stuff. It's really, it's really similar to that stuff. But then they've taken it and like made it uh, like over the top, crazy. Where exactly. it's like you look out of the skyline and it's a million spires and stuff. Totally, what well, becomes like Gaudi.
8: You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah.
0: Like, but but then at the same time, I like there's a point like where in my you know my neighborhood downtown mm-hmm. where i can stand and i can see the spires of like uh, of city hall yeah, uh, wise temple right. and
8: and the church nearby and it, it feels it like that it looks like blood. it does and i'm just kind of amazing <laughs> when you look at some of these durer prints especially the ones in which there is figures and but they're also in a larger space that there's so much about uh rubble Right? You're seeing these kind of kingdoms fallen. And like right here, like and that's the sensibility that I got where it really struck me was looking at night, death, and the devil. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It's that kingdom that just built on that hill. Right. And it's so much about proximity and distance. And you look, you can look at a ton of these. Yeah. And there's always this distance. Yeah. Right. And it's like the interiors, not so much, but it's when you get those spaces where everything's out there. And I know there's a like bunch of Madonna and child. And it's just this incredible where they're just like sitting on a pile of like, like a, a fallen wall. Yeah. And she's sitting there, you know, and she has like keys. Uh, yeah. You know? And I think it's that one right over there on this green wall. It's yeah. like you could see her, the one on the very end on the left. And she has like keys just dangling here. And then this kingdom that's been just like in rubble
0: yeah I was noticing the weird like kind of decay of of the worlds yes. and these as well and and when you were kind of brought it up as like relationship to sort of the soul series of video games maybe we have we have done a very bad job of like actually explaining to Sorry, a person yes. who has never played yes. like a video game what yeah. we're talking about in that way but basically there's a series of of video games that um take place in most of them are in sort of a medieval kind of fantasy world um medieval inspired um but we should say they are also like um developed in japan right so they've always kind of got this really interesting mix of like medieval european influence mixed with like J- japanese as- ideas and right. aesthetics and they're just really fascinating yeah. and um and but most of th- this world that they exist in has just totally gone to
8: pot <laughs> yeah <laughs> right? I, I mean like- it is just yeah it's like kind of holding on by the seams yeah you know and it's very much what you see kind of illustrated in these Dura prints in a way is that this kind of old ideal just slowly either breaking apart or being held together by the seams.
0: Our final clip comes from episode 32, when I met artist Pam Kravitz, and we discussed the ways costumes can be empowering.
4: I think that's the thing. I, I I live my art. I am my art. And most recently, I've become uh, dressing like my art, and I tell my stories through my clothing and through my performative pieces.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of. If I was to describe you, I would definitely say you you're the idea of clothing is a big part of it, and sort of dressing in a certain way. But I don't necessarily. Like, I would say it's a character, but then I don't think it is a character, is it?
4: No, I don't think it is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like, I just was like, I don't think it's like a put-on. Like, I think that's just like you, right?
4: It's, it's pretty authentic. I mean, it's 100% authentic. But I have to say that um, a lot of times when I, with the, with the costumes, I do kind of consider even the way I dress on a daily basis is very costume-like, yeah. um, very playful, very girly. I um, embrace my feminine side a, a lot, and that's the tutus and the fake furs and the very colorful lipsticks. But um, a lot of times, too, what I'm doing is telling a story or be, being part of a narrative of a story I want to tell through my art. So I, you know, I love a parade. You know, I love a parade. <laughs> so sometimes my costumes or my outfits um, or my art is Being in the bathtub for Arnold's dressed like a bubble, you know, because of bathtubs and bubbles. Um, But uh, so, yeah, no, it's 100 percent authentic. But it's it's taken it's been a a lot of evolution. I was never comfortable with the way I looked Mm -hmm. and I knew I didn't I wasn't the pretty girl and everyone around me was so pretty and I. I was like, I, I couldn't stand out in that way. So I at, at a very young age, kindergarten, I got in trouble for wearing a mini skirt and go-go boots, but that was the 60s. <laughs> and um, so I was sent to the principal's office. So very early on, I think I realized I was going to be a different kind of person, a different look, because I wanted an individuality and I wanted to stand out um, in my own right. And I knew the way I see the world and I communicate is a lot of the way I look, yeah. And giving somebody else the right or the free pass to say, "Be who you are, dress that you know, dress like you feel, and and let your let your clothing um, tell the story of who you are."
0: Yeah, there's like a there's something about that, like uh, it becomes your armor in a way. Yes, that it is. you can you put on something that, and I, I guess I, I definitely. When I was younger, I was very, like, I would dress, like, I loved just kind of really pushing the limits yeah. of, like, what I could get away with. And there was something about, I don't know, just sort of, I I, I, was, I was more fearless sort of the crazier I looked.
4: Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You know? You're right. No, I agree with you. Like, yeah. there's
0: something about that, like, the more kind of outlandish I was, the more you know, I don't know. And and I guess I'm also like a person who doesn't mind being on stage, who doesn't right. mind like, so that's all very connected that like, there's a, there's a safety in the costume. And there's this, you know, I even remember when I was in plays, when I was in high school and I was very like self-conscious of my body when I was that age too. Right. And and so maybe the things I would wear that were kind of maybe outlandish um, as Russell would be um, still maybe hide my body in a way that I felt okay about. Um, But I remember playing characters on stage where the costume required um, would probably have made me uncomfortable on on the street. Right. But because I was somebody else, I was like totally okay with it right. and I did not think about it for one second that like I was wearing this thing that I was and and what's funny is like the things I was wearing are like I, that I can remember a costume being like uncomfortable about was like a sweater vest or something like it right. was nothing like <laughs> that weird it wasn't right like it wasn't weird it was just like I was not That's happy funny. with how I physically looked in it right. like I was just like Oh, I look really fat in this, and I did not like that. Yes, and so I, th- I felt like, oh, this is really revealing, but it was okay because I was a character, you're and once a character. I was in, it, once I became that character, that just totally melted away.
4: That I think you and I are the same person. Like, <laughs> we, I was theater too yeah. in high school, and same thing. I, you know, and I totally embraced the costumes, and I really, you're right. But it is isn't armor. It is a, uh, it's almost like your superhero power that. I can show up and I can be like this, and I'm I'm safe. I'm safe yeah. in this costume. Yeah. That's, I've never thought of it like that, but you're 100% right. And I, I think that's to the way that I've, not even knowing that that's what I was doing. Yeah, And the, the body image issues and all of that stuff, of course, you know, I have those, and I still have those. Um, but the way that I have learned to embrace and love my body and the way I look, um is is part of the costuming. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, and and you know, I was thinking about other people, you know, I was saying, well, I'm I, I don't think of my I think most people are are very nervous of being in front of people and are nervous of performing in that way that I'm not, but I've been around people who who are kind of really who have stage fright and are nervous and I remember um And my previous job, um, we had this bear costume that we would wear for programs. And there was uh, somebody who was very, um, very shy and who who was very nervous, but she loved putting on the bear costume and she could safely (laughs) be as kind of, big and as outlandish as she wanted yeah. to be in that costume because it was it was safe. Like fearless. Yeah, right. and you're anonymous too. Yeah, you know, you yeah, have yeah. this like mask over your face and you're you're totally anonymous. It was basically like a mascot type costume, you know? And I've seen that happen with lots of people who they put on something that completely conceals them mm-hmm. and it like allows them to become somebody else and to right. like lose all inhibitions.
4: It's, I don't know if you know, did you know I was the Bearcat, the UC Bearcat mascot for two years? No, I did not. (laughs) I'm like the most unathletic person you will ever meet. I have two (laughs) varsity college letters, athlete letters. I actually have a a captain's letter, which is really funny. It's like, but but yes, I was the mascot in exactly that. I got more dates being the mascot than you can even imagine. Because you are, you just like, you know, you like put yourself out there in such a different way. But then, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I, I, which blown away, got the opportunity to wear a Nick Cave oh, really? sound suit here yeah. when it was at CAM. Um, yeah. Was it five years ago maybe? Four yeah, five it was, years ago? Yeah, it was a
0: little I've been here for uh, four and a half and it was just a little bit before I started, maybe 2012 Okay, or so. right, right. Yeah. So
4: that was also that feeling, like yeah. putting on those incredible suits and walking around. Um, You know, people were in awe and excited and so was I and my friends that got this opportunity. So yeah, definitely that concealing yourself in such a way, you can totally put yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. I don't have to do that anymore. Now I'm like, "Hello, here I am. <laughs> Take me or leave me."
0: <laughs> What's uh, I was just kind of curious when I was thinking about your description of of what you do and in the way you kind of perform and you know, you think of it that it's almost like your art is just existing in the world in a way you know when you talk about say being in a parade i mean i guess a parade is a type of framework um that we can view art even though maybe people don't traditionally think of it that way but is that something you're also interested in is kind of like removing the boundaries of like where we see art
4: oh i love that you say that because that is so living in my head lately yeah it is so living in my head because um and actually somebody asked me recently they're like where can i see your art I'm like, mm, well, are you going to the Bachfest Fest parade? <laughs> right. It'll be in there. And yeah. and um, so I definitely am playing with those ideas now because I do want to go back to making some more of my art. Not, I've never, it's been a really long time since I made art that hung on a wall. Yeah. Um, but I've made, you know, like those big marionette puppets I had at the CAC, very interactive and very, very performative. They were performative. Mm. So I I am kind of, ready to marry the idea of my art and the idea of a non-traditional space a moment in time that's what I love about the parades and I love about it's like it's that moment in time it's it's you have to be there you have to experience and and then it goes away which is weird I mean most artists you know you want that idea of something tangible something concrete and I think a lot of times what I want is that feeling that I give or get or do when I'm in that moment in time.
0: Well, that's theater.
4: That's theater. Right? Right. It's, that is theater. It's
0: just for the moment right. and it's with those people and then it's gone. And and you might, you make a tape of it or you, you know, you document it, but it's never the it's thing. It's never the
4: thing. You know, right. the
0: thing was there and it was that moment and it's gone. And it's
4: gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm glad you brought that up because it's definitely been brewing in my head lately. Exactly yeah. what you what you articulated way better than I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what's, your, what's your what's your relationship to to like drag?
4: Oh, oh my gosh! Do you know me? Like, do you like follow me around? No, I don't. I, I am <laughs> I am infatuated in love, enamored, in awe of drag queens. I, well, because that's
0: what, it's sort of, as you're describing, and I've seen you know some of your your costumes and your performances. I kind of feel like this is this kind of drag, it right? Kind of drag. I mean, it it's is. it's like the I I mean, obviously the the idea of, and I, I think there are female drag queens too who are not like a drag king, but like there that is becoming more of a thing where there are female drag queens who basically like I am going to play this because the whole idea is this like exaggerated right. femininity that's like over the top, you know? And so it, it kind of doesn't totally matter. I mean, there's, of course, I I feel like in a traditional drag queen, which is a bizarre statement, I know, I know. <laughs> <traditional, like> the <laughs> idea of a traditional drag queen, but like the, there's a, I feel like there's a, like, to some degree the idea of like the illusion Right. Of, but that's not always there, and it's not—it's not necessarily a part of everyone's performance either. So,
4: well, I—but I don't. I, d- does it only belong to men dressed? I mean, i, I love that. I don't it think it has to. But really, I—I I just wouldn't want to infringe on um, an art form that's been around for a very long time. Yeah. You know that. I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I have to look into that because that would be. I just went to um, Tennessee mm-hmm. to, uh, to Nashville to actually be in a parade, a Christmas parade. Yeah, <laughs> a nice Jewish girl in the Christmas parade. I was dressed like an elf. It was kind of crazy. But we went to a drag show there. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm just, I'm blown away by the talent, the beauty, the craftsmanship, the artistry, um, and talk about a moment in time, putting yourself out there and um, I, I, I'm I in love with it yeah yeah so okay I'm gonna look into that you're like I'm ready to go home and make some art man be you're a like d- totally inspiring to dra- I me mean, yeah. yeah. I mean I think
0: thank you for listening to Art Palace we hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself general admission to the museum is always free and we also offer free parking The special exhibition on view right now is Collecting Calligraphy, Arts of the Islamic World and opening October 3rd, Life, Jillian Waring. And join us on the evening of October 3rd at 7 p.m. for a conversation with artist Jillian Waring led by Associate Curator of Photography Nathaniel M. Stein. For program reservations and more information, visit cincinnatiartmuseum.org. You can follow the museum on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and also join our Art Palace Facebook group. Our theme song is Offrande Musicale by Bacalao. And always, please rate and review us. It always helps others find the show. I'm Russell Irig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.